morning. <clears throat> so before we start, I'm going to tell you that I may ruffle some of your feathers. But, but that's what the truth is. The truth sometimes ruffles our feathers. And it's okay. You know, it's good. We should always be, be testing. Is th do I believe that? Is that true? Have I seen that as truth? And at the end of it all, at the bottom of it all, this is the truth. Okay, so everything and anything that's spoken here in a small group, in a prayer set, must rest on this. This is our absolute. This is the truth. Okay, so, and if I do ruffle your feathers, call me. You know, don't stop me today, but, but call me. I'd love to talk to you about it. So this, this morning, we're actually bridging a gap. We're ending our series on maturity today, and we're beginning our series on prayer today. So what do you think about doing maturity in prayer? You know, <laughs> it seems good. But um, I wanted to start off with something that happened in our Friday morning prayer set a couple of weeks ago. Friday morning prayer set is awesome, if you haven't been there. Um, and just as we finished worshiping and started into prayer, we had a word that I really feel is from the Lord. And what he said was, you need to come up on my shoulders and see things the way I see them. Because you're sitting on the ground and you're getting dirt in your eyes and mud in your eyes, and even some pebbles in your eyes, and it's obscuring your vision. You're not seeing things the way I see them. And in that place, we're not praying the way he wants us to pray. We're not even in the same game. So that immediately... <clears throat> made me think of, of course, Paul, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, and I'm reading out of the New King James, for any of you who are, have your computers and you can do that. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, not strong in yourself. Our strength comes from him. And in the power of his might... Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. See, we're, we're not fighting against Donald Trump or Elizabeth Warren. We're fighting against powers and principalities. See, it's not about all these things that we, we get so caught up in and we get so filled with emotion about them. See, it's the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. See, there are times in our personal lives, times in our corporate life, times in our nation where the hordes of hell are breathing on us. 
And this is such a time. Because a house against its, divided against itself will not stand. A nation divided against itself will not stand. A church divided against itself will not stand. Nor will a family, nor will a marriage. But when we stay on the ground and get all caught up in people, instead of understanding and seeing from his shoulders, what is he seeing? What is he doing? We have to see, if we're his children, we have to see the way he sees. We have to hear what he's hearing. We have to be quiet so we can hear what he's saying to us. How do you want us to pray? See, we're sons and daughters. We're not called to get into the mud. We're to call, called to speak with authority. He tells us to be loving to everyone. Be merciful. Do not judge, lest I judge you the same way. That's terrifying. That is absolutely terrifying to me. So this is kind of before we start. But anyway, I think we need to, we just need to pay attention to what we're doing. Are we loving? Are our words loving? Are we merciful? Remember when, when Samuel was looking, for, was looking for the next king, right? And he's looking at all the sons of Jesse. And Jesse, you know, Samuel's looking at the one that looks like it would be the guy. God's like... Samuel, even my beautiful Samuel, you don't get it. You see on the outside, but I see the heart. Right? So we really need to start praying that way and getting in the ball game, seeing things the way he sees them. Instead of complaining, pray. Right? Maybe get a green Whole Foods elastic band and put it around your wrist. And every time you go to complain about something, stop and pray and see if you can leave it on the same arm for 40 days. 40 days breaks a habit. But I think our nation would be very different if we prayed instead of complained. Just food for thought. <clears throat> I'm surprised nobody's walked out. I'm like looking at the doors. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm sure we'll be having coffee soon. <laughs> um, this is my first time using a big girl computer when I speak, so uh, see how it goes. I'm prepared. I have that fear of computer failure, so I'm super prepared just in case. Can't trust these guys. So we're called to love, to be merciful, not to judge, and to be part of the solution as his children, not part of the problem. Back in the day, Gary and I had a home church, and we had a rabbi that came and taught us, um, especially in the Old Testament, what the, the roots of the Jewish words mean, and it was fantastic. Like, it, it definitely captivated me and still does. I don't really like commentary so much, but going to the roots of words, to me, is fascinating. Love it. So once the rabbi was done, a friend of mine found this guy called Skip Moen, S-K-I-P-M-O-E-N.com, and that's what he does. He reduces the words and breaks them down to the original Hebrew, which is fantastic. So um, one of the things that he wrote that I read that I really liked was called Praying Dirt. And 
The Talmud, which is this book, is the commentary of the Torah. So the Torah is the Hebrew book, right? So this is like the legal commentary. And without breaking all the words down for you, because I think I would bore you to tears, most of you, not all of you, um, this, is, this, is what, this is what it says. A living being, God fashioned from the dust the body that he animated with his breath. Man manifest as nephesh. The word is derived from a root, a verb that means to ask, to seek, to request, as in prayer. In other words, the Talmud defines man as the creature that prays. Furthermore, the Talmud teaches that even nephesh, the life-sustaining soul, our spirit, is synonymous with prayer. What would happen to our thinking if we translated Genesis 2-7 as the man was manifested as a praying being? Would we, would we suddenly realize that we are human only insofar as we are engaged in relationship with God? What is prayer if it is not the essential me in contact with him? If I'm going to become human, I must move in the direction of the divine design in me. This kills me. <clears throat> that does not happen by random cho chance or automatic pilot. I must decide to become human. That is essentially what it means to have free will and to be able to choose. I can move towards God's design innately implanted in me, or I can move away from his design, forging a self-made creature fashioned by lesser purposes. I am equipped to manifest God's design. He has ensured that I lack nothing necessary for this project. But accomplishing the task of becoming human requires a continual connection to my maker. My humanity depends entirely on how his life is manifest in mine. Therefore, prayer is the absolutely, nece the absolutely necessary ingredient for being what God intended. The man who does not pray will soon not be a man. The systems of this world are designed to remove your humanity because they are designed to remove you from a relationship with your creator. Whatever is self-driven leads to inhumane behavior. And we've seen that, haven't we? Truly, true humanity is found in humble submission to God. The closer I get to selfless obedience, the more human I become. How do I know this? Because God manifested himself in his son and demonstrate, demonstrated what a truly human, being tr truly human actually looks like. It looks exactly like Jesus, absolutely devoted to the will of the Father. And so I think when we look at what does maturity look like in prayer, maturity, um, if you look at it, it means to be fully developed, right? Fully developed. A lot of times in scripture, the word perfect can be, um, you can use the word mature. You can switch those. So being fully developed, being mature, that's what we're talking about. So I believe it's when we see God as he truly is and understand who we are in that relationship. That is maturity. Prayer takes our eyes off ourselves and focuses on him. Prayer takes us to the one who is enough, who has all the energy, joy, strength, and resources needed to make it through our day. He has all the wisdom needed if we partner with him, if we choose to do that. 
One thing that's really evident when we look through scripture is that God is other. And I think for some of us, that, that's an issue. That's, that's a way that we are stumbling in our relationship with him. We don't understand that he's so other. He's so different. His ways are not our ways. And we grapple to understand him. We grapple to see, what, what are you doing? But see, he's like way up there. See, like a two-year-old wouldn't understand why I do what I do, right? They wouldn't understand. And, and sometimes, especially around here where intellect is so important, we think we're so smart and we know so many things that we don't realize we're like a little ant. And so it's hard for us to grapple with this, that we don't understand that he is smarter. His ways are better, higher, grander than ours. But he is so loving and so compassionate. When Gary and I, Gary and I go to Israel, not, not enough, I would say, but anyway, when we go, one of my favorite things in Jerusalem, in the old city, is watching the, the Orthodox Jewish dads with their kids. It is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. We've really lost it here, that, that aspect of relationship here in the West, but like it's the dad's responsibility to train up their children in God. So they're going to, they're going to temple and they're walking down the street and the, the dads always have physical contact with their kids. They're always holding their hands. When they speak to them, they get down to their level right in their eyes. You never hear them arguing. You never hear a dad yelling at their kids. You never hear the kids being disrespectful for the dad. There's this beautiful love relationship with them. They're always kissing their faces. Like, you'd almost feel like, geez, you know, tone it down a bit. <laughs> but, but you know what? Love can't be toned down, right? That kind of love can't be toned down. And so it reminds me of of what God is like. We have a friend, and um, we were actually uh, at the call Jerusalem, and he was sitting on the floor, like here, and he was sitting there, and his son, who was your age, he's a grown-up, comes into the conference place, and I see him, because I've met him, and he comes around, and I'm watching him get towards his dad, and he gets towards his dad, and his dad's just sitting there, you know, just talking to a couple of people, and the boy just sits on his lap, and the dad just lavishes his son with kisses and I just thought that's how God feels about us that like nothing is more precious than seeing you connecting with you and I was just kind of like hunkering around the internet this week and I was um came across this little uh, set of rules or what a proper Jewish child how they treat their parents you know isn't it like you go figure you're just looking for something else it's like oh this is perfect but it says um, Jewish children should be in awe of their parents. You know what awe means? I looked it up. Um, it's a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. That's maturity in prayer. Understanding who he is like that, that you are so loved but there's that fear and there's that wonder about, them, about him. And we kind of see this in Matthew 17 um, on the Mount of Transfiguration. I love Peter. I love Peter because he has let all of his mistakes be put out there for us to learn from. Instead of hiding them, you know, usually we don't want people to know when we blew it really bad. 
He like tells generations upon generations, no, learn from me, learn from my mistakes. So it says, now after six days, starting from verse one, um, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, a select group, right? So you're understanding that you can be as close to Jesus and God as you want to be. Some people will pay the price and get closer. So you can be one of the 120, you can be one of the 70, you can be one of the 12, or you can be one of the three. It's a heart posture because we see Peter makes a lot of mistakes, but the heart posture is key, okay? So he leads them up on them high on a mountain by themselves. There's no one there. And he was transfigured right before them. Can you imagine those guys? Just walking, hiking, you know, it's like us guys going for a hike and then all of a sudden us, one of us kind of gets beamy, you know, this. But, but we see, so it says that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. So it's not as severe as what John saw in Revelation because John was flattened, totally terrified and couldn't get up. So this is like a muted version of his glory, but it's definitely different. He is different. He is saying, I am not like you anymore. And you need to understand that, right? And then behold, of course, Moses and Elijah appear. <laughs> Doesn't that happen all the time? People that are dead pop up all over the place. But there's a reason for that. We'll get to that, right? And how do they know it's Moses and Elijah? Like who said? Not Instagram, no Snapchat. How do they know it's Moses and Elijah? But they all know it's Moses and Elijah. And so... Um, <laughs> Peter answers Jesus, so there must have been a question, but he says, Lord, it is so good for us to be here. But mind you, they're talking, okay? So it says, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, and they were talking to him, talking to Jesus. And Peter just jumps in. This is great. Love this. How about this? We are going to make tabernacles, one for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses, a little too much HGTV, right? <laughs> we're making tabernacles <laughs> for all of you. And, and we'll have Chip and Joanna design them for you. It will be great. But what happens? Something a little bit more terrifying, right? While he was still speaking, so now he's getting interrupted. While he is still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. There are a few other ways to say hear him that you could think of. So God's saying, Peter, you have no idea what you're doing. You have no idea what you are witnessing. I've just let you see that he's my son. He's the son of God. And you're treating him like he's one of your bros. You're going to make him the same house you're making Moses and Elijah? My son? You think that's okay? He's saying no. And we see this is so interesting because this is what makes them hit the ground and they're terrified. It's not Jesus being transformed in front of them. It's not popping Moses and Elijah. It's a voice. Like the roar of many thunders. And down they go. And Jesus is so kind because he says, 
it's okay. He touches them. It's okay. Come on, get up. And I'm sure he's looking at his father going, work in progress. You know, <laughs> These boys are going to be great at the end. And they were. Were they not? Were they not? Every one of them except for John died horrifying deaths for, for Christ. That's what saved me. That people closest to you would die upside down in trees, just absolutely had this terrifying death. That says to me, he is who he says he is. He is who he says he is. So anyway, what we know now, we know as it says here in verse 9, now as they came down the mountain, Jesus commanded them saying, tell the vision. So this was a vision. Okay? Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And that's important because of a few of the other things we talked about. We're not going to continue to talk about that anymore, though. Anyway, so God's other, God's huge, God's big. One of God's thoughts, have a thought, pick a thought. Starbucks, Patriots, God, galaxies, atoms, cosmos. Just one thought. He, keep tra he keeps track of 7 billion people at the same time, 24-7. Seven billion. I can't keep track of my own five kids. But he's other. He's bigger. Question is, are we in awe of him? Do we know him well enough to be in awe? Do we dare to get close enough that he amazes us, that he kisses our faces, and that we feel so loved by him, that correction is sweet? I also like the fact that in scripture he talks, we're getting somewhere, not to worry. Um, in scripture he talks about being a good shepherd. Shepherds are obviously very important to him, very dear to him, because they're the only ones at his birth, besides Mary and Joseph, just the shepherds. The kings don't come till he's two, and they, come, they go to Egypt. They're not at the stable, according to scripture. Just the shepherds. Shepherds are the lowliest people, very humble. People think they're not worth anything. But those are the ones that get invited to the birth. And so, especially in the 23rd Psalm, we see that David, through the power of the Holy Spirit, tells us about this shepherd, who the shepherd is. And it leads us and lets us see so many different facets of who God is. He takes care of us. He provides for us. He leads us where we're supposed to go. He's dependable. We know he'll lay down his life for us. But the thing about it is, we have to be sheep. The shepherd doesn't shepherd lone wolves. The shepherd doesn't shepherd lions or tigers or bears. Only sheep. And a sheep will come under his rod. And a sheep will allow themselves to be protected and cared for by this great shepherd. And sometimes we're so self-sufficient that we won't allow that to take place because we think we can take care of ourselves. And you, you can go pretty far on that if you turn your back on God. He'll let you go because that's what free choice is. But sheep know the sound of their voice, the shepherd's voice, and the shepherd adores his sheep. He does his part. We do our part. It reminds me a few weeks ago. Sorry, I have to throw the patriots in here. Um, Tom Brady was, was, was asked, how come, how come you and Bill Belichick get along so well? They're both kind of fiery characters, 17 years being together, no fracture in the relationship that's been, you know, talked about. And he said, well, it's so easy because 
I'm the player and he's the coach. I don't coach and he doesn't play. And it's very much like our relationship with God, isn't it? We have to do our part. And he's really clear about what our part is. But then if we're close enough to him, if we get close enough, we realize his part is unbelievable because he has resources we cannot even fathom. So, you know, when Matthew was talking this morning about money, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's so much fun. You know, I mean, because that's the one he says, test me on it. Go ahead, test me on it. And I've told you the story where God told us to give away all our money, and then he put the money back in our bank account. It was awesome. It just freed Gary and I to just give, 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 because it's not ours. It's not our money. It's his. Here, have a 20, you know? I mean, it's fine. We're called to be responsible, but we have to understand who's the one that's shepherding us. The one that thinks of galaxies. In three of the four Gospels, which is really important, we have the story of who, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says to them, who do they say that I am anyway? Anytime Jesus asks a question, it's for our sake, not his, because he knows the answer. He is the ultimate know-it-all, right? He knows it all. So he says, okay, and who do you say that I am? And see, that question reverberates through history to every single one of us today. Who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? Am I far off? Did I leave you? Did I not do what you wanted me to do? Who am I to you? A.W. Tozer says, if you answer that question for me, I can tell you your spiritual future. I can tell you exactly where you're going to go. Because the answer to that question says if you're going to build your life on sand or stone, how are you going to live your life? How are you going to pray? See, if God is very, very small, your prayers are very, very small. They're all about what you can do. When I talk to people, I'm listening. What are their dreams? What are their dreams? Because when I hear your dreams, I know where you are with God. Are they big and huge? Like, I love sending pictures back to Bethany about, like, things that we're looking at, you know, houses of prayer, places to move, things like that. 10.2 million. Anybody else would go, are you crazy? Bethany's like, great, 10.2 million. Yeah, you know? <laughs> of course, that's great. Because we, we both know that it's got nothing to do with us and nothing to do with a checking account. If God wants us to have a $10.2 million house of prayer, knock yourself out. Decorate to your heart's content, right? Because it doesn't matter to him. He has so much, and he's so willing to give it to us. But three of the four Gospels say that, and any time, you know, we've talked about this before, any time there's redundancy in Scripture, things are talked about multiple times in multiple stories, there's only so much room here. So when things are over and over said or told, you need to pay attention to those. For example, in Romans 10, 9 through 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confess confession is made unto salvation. So the Greek word Lord here is kuros which means master or owner. That's 3,600 times in scripture. 
lot. See, it doesn't say confess with your mouth, Jesus is your Savior. It's that Jesus is your Lord. Because Savior is the work he's done. Position is lordship. So he's not going to save you if you're not his Lord. Savior, you know how many times Savior is in Scripture? 36. Okay, so he's your Lord and Master, and he will save you. He's your shepherd, you're the sheep, he'll care for you. But we have to understand who he is and who we are. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The closer we get to God, the greater our view should be in God. A lot of times we don't ask God to extend his hand because we don't even know his heart. We have low expectations because we forget or we don't know how good and great our God is. All he asks is that we do our part. I feel like a very big point in maturity is called uh, praying through or being persistent in prayer. I've had a lot of friends, because, you know, we're ancient, and we've had a lot of friends that we've run with, and they're no longer, no longer running with God. Because, like many of you, and, and you guys have a complete disadvantage of this, and it's not your fault. You expect everything to be at your fingertips immediately. So it's very hard for you to understand a God who loves process. It's hard for you to understand that you're on a wheel and you're being molded and shaped. We don't understand that it's not a period, him saying no, it's a comma saying, let's keep going. And we walk away, upset and angry and misunderstanding what he's trying to say to us. In Luke 18, it says, he's talking about the persistent widow and he says, then he spoke a parable to them, saying that men ought to pray and not lose heart. No matter what things look like, we need to pray and not lose heart. We need to have spiritual eyes to see what's going on. And he goes on to talk about a judge who didn't fear God and didn't fear man, which makes him pretty lawless. And he's saying, if this man could have his heart changed by this little lady who was just nagging him like crazy, how much more a good father how much more a good father will, will, will give you what you need in the proper time? So there are short-term prayers and there are long-term prayers. There's the where's my shoe prayer, and that's usually answered pretty quickly one way or another. But then there are other prayers. There are prayers that we pray for our friends, for our children, for people who are sick. And we're expecting these prayers to be right now. I want the answer right now. And he's just not that way, not all the time. I mean, you have to, Michelle, do you have that slide? The long-term slide? So do you remember when you were driving and you had to aim high in steering? They didn't want you to drive like looking like this at the road in front of you. They wanted you to look out. That was the snowy day the other day and I got to be the pers first person to walk on it and put my shoe prints all over it. But <laughs> I wanted to see if I, just looked straight ahead if I would make a straight line, if I would walk a straight line, if 
I'd be able to stay on course if I looked at one thing like him. And I could. And sometimes that's how our prayers need to be. We need to just stay at it. Keep, you know, to totally bum some of you out, I've been praying this, some of the same things for 28 years. And they aren't like little, oh, please do this or please do that. They're screaming at the top of my lungs. They're pounding my fist. Come on. 28 years. But he's about relationships. See, I change while I'm with him screaming. I change while I'm with him crying. I'm, I'm changed when I'm praying for someone who just really aggravates me. I'm changed. See, prayer moves God's heart, but it changes ours. It changes who we are. That connection, staying with him, staying human. There's this cool book around here somewhere. Ah, here we go. What it means to pray through. 1920s, 1930s, written by a woman named Elizabeth Danby. And she and her husband got this church in Philadelphia. And it was a very hard, hard place. And they had no money, and they didn't know what they were going to do. But they were in this place with no support, and no anything. Now, this will be the thing, because I didn't bring my glasses, so. Okay. Um, so she goes to God, and she meets him. And she says, I gave him my promise that I would be there, and I went I went home and waited till the next morning. And I was so afraid I would miss my appointment with him, I sat up all night. And I dared not put my trust or confidence in an alarm clock, so I left pl in plenty of time to meet him. And when she came to the place where the tree was bent in the road, the Lord said, this is the place. I had not prepared a speech or an essay. I did not write an address, an address, <clears throat> I was not in a position to give a lecture. Believe me, when I tell you, I did not know what to expect. It was true. And as I stood between the two large stones, and the presence, the presence of God overshadowed me, and I acknowledged him. See, th this, when you hear this, you'll understand it will make us feel kind of light. You'll see, sometimes it, for me, it's really good to see people that have gone ahead that have really gone hard because it puts things in a context where I have to look at myself and say, wow, look how much this mattered to this woman. Do I feel the same way about my fellow men? Do I feel the same way about the refugees? Do I feel the same way about orphans and, and people that are starving? See, this woman takes some serious action. So I lifted up my eyes, and I can't see. Okay, I lifted, lifted up my eyes heavenward and said, Lord, if you will bless my husband in this place, if you, you have sent him to establish your name, and if you will break the bonds and destroy the middle wall or partitions that have been set up, if you will give him a church and a congregation as a credit to your people and your name, I will walk with you for three years in prayer, both night and day. I will meet you every morning at 9 o'clock sharp. You will never have to wait for me. I will be there to greet you. I will stay there all day, and I will vote, devote all my time to you. I will walk forward about, I walk forward about four or five steps to the ed edge of the water, 
And I said unto him, furthermore, if you will hearken unto the voice of my supplications and break through in that wicked neighborhood and bless my husband, I will fast 72 hours each week for two years. While I am going through this fast, I will not go home to sleep in my bed. I will stay at the church, and if I become sleepy, I will sleep in the newspapers or on the carpet. And as soon as I made that comment unto the Lord, the heavens opened, and it poured rain, and I knew he had accepted. That's an Esther fast every week for two years. That's how much she loves the people that are in her congregation and in her neighborhood. So she's probably not on Facebook so much because she's on her face before God. And guess what he does? He does it. But the first thing he says to her is, which this was torturous for me because I was fasting and I had just popped a few M&Ms. And <laughs> then, I, then I read this and it says, because you have not broken your vow to me, I will give you every soul that comes into that place. Wow. How bad do you want it? They had no heat. So she froze. No food, no food, no water. If you've ever, ever done an Esther fast, it's torture. I've done one, and I could have just lapped a puddle up if it was there before me. It's so difficult. Oh, no, I'm going to do one every week for you because that's how bad I want the souls for these people. See, there's a whole different level that we can go to. Sometimes we think because we're kind of seen as radicals in the Christian community that like we've got to, the, we've hit this level. But I think what we need to see is there are many levels much higher that we could go. There's much more we can tap into in the things of God than we are. But if we want to stay comfy, we can stay comfy. It's not like you're going to lose your salvation being comfortable. But you are going to lose something. Scripture tells us that that people lose when they get to him. Another thing about persistence, when we look, we're almost done. Oh, good, we're almost done. Um, we look at Daniel. We look at Elijah. We look at them praying through. Daniel prays through for 70 years for something that he doesn't even get to see because he's a slave. Right? He doesn't get to leave to go to Jerusalem to see what all his praying has done. And he's counted as excellent in God's eyes. And Elijah, we see Elijah in 1 Kings. He, after he has taken out all the false prophets, Elijah says in verse 41, I think it's 18. Yep, 18. He says, okay, Ahab, the bad, the bad king, go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain coming. How many of you have heard the sound of abundant rain coming on a clear day? Elijah has. And he sits there and he looks out over that water and he stays and he prays and he prays and he prays and then he looks up, says to his assistant, go look, go look and see if you see anything. He comes back, nothing. This happened seven times. What if he had stopped at six? But he didn't. He was persistent and he prayed through 
And what happens? Huge rainstorm, just as he said, just as he said. In this book, there's a book called The Traveler's Gift. It's one of my favorites, and it's kind of like a, a wonderful life kind of a book. And this man goes through, and he meets these seven influential people, and they give him one piece of advice, obviously fiction. And he meets the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel meets him in this room. And it sounds like when in the book, it sounds like an Amazon fulfillment center. You know, there's like money, stacks of money everywhere, stacks of clothing everywhere, pictures of kids all over the place. And this guy goes like, what? And then he sees Gabriel and he's like, really? Did I die? Gabriel's like, no, you didn't die. He goes, where am I? And Gabriel says, these are all the things that God wanted to release to man, but they stopped praying before they came to pass. Because there are rooms in heaven. We read Job, right? Job tells us there are rooms in heaven with stuff in them. Are you praying through if it's that important to you? Or are you going to give up? Do you know who Chuck Yeager is? Anybody? Yay, Chuck Yeager. Love Chuck Yeager. So Chuck Yeager was the first person to break the sound barrier, going 45,000. At 45,000 feet, going 700, I think it's 767 miles an hour in 1947. And when he's talking about it, all these people had gone before him, right? They'd gone before him trying to break the sound barrier. And what happened was either they got really scared because the ship was shaking so hard that they throttled back and stopped. Or their physical bodies shook so much, so much that they vomited and they throttled back and stopped. Chuck Yeager didn't care. Chick, Chuck Yeager was going to break the sound barrier. So it shook and it shook and it shook and he vomited seven times. But he got breakthrough. And I think that's a vision of what God is trying to say to us about prayer. When we get close to our breakthrough, it is going to be shaking, shaking, shaking. Things are going to be falling off all over the place. It's going to be hot. It's going to be fiery. It's going to be messy. Are you going to throttle back and go away? Or are you going to press through? Because he said the minute he poked through sea of glass, everything stopped. Are we willing? Are we, are we so in need of what we're going after in God, that we let it get messy, that we let him shake our world upside down and all around to get that thing because it's so important to us. And lastly, I think maturity means to not be offended. Matthew 11, 1 through 6. And this is one of the verses I think that you can think Jesus is mean. There's sometimes when you're reading scripture, you're like, wow, that's kind of mean. You know, who are my mother? Who's my brothers and sisters? You know, none. You know, but you have to read it in context. But this one especially because it's John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in prison. And he says, verse 11, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, are you the coming one or do we look for another? In other words, my faith is waning. Are you really who you say you are? Because I'm in prison and I'm probably getting pretty nervous, and rightfully so. 
And Jesus' response is excellent. He says, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Yes, I'm the guy. And no, I'm not getting you out. You're going to have your head cut off. Because John's saying, if you're who you say you are, and I am blessed, you know, like your favorite, like you say, I'm the guy, I'm beside, you know, I came before you, I baptized you. He's saying, nope, I am who you think I am. You're right, stay strong till the end. But you're going to have your head cut off, you're not getting out. And then he says, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed means made holy, consecrated. So when he doesn't do what you want him to do, when you are offended, you are being made holy. You are being consecrated in the fire of that persistence, that molding work that he's doing with all of us. And we're offended all over the place in so many things because there are so many times he could step in and do something, yet he doesn't. But we know he has the power to do that. And he says to us, don't be offended. I am working something in you that is of far greater importance that you cannot see and you cannot understand. So maturity in prayer is seeing God aright. Praying through our Father's eyes and not natural circumstances. Having reverence mixed with fear and wonder in our relationship with him. Seeing and doing our part in believing God to do his praying through and not being offended if he doesn't answer you the way he, you want him to.